Welcome to episode 59 of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, Wild Mustangs, Mongo Derby, and Building Awareness with Callie King. If you've ever searched anything horse-related on YouTube, you've probably come across Callie King, whose YouTube channel has over 300 videos on riding and training horses and over 124,000 subscribers. Callie has a holistic science-based approach to riding, considering the health and soundness of the horse, the suitability of the saddle and tack, and the individuality of each horse and rider. Callie strives to create a positive learning environment for students and horses, always looking for ways to make learning fun and incorporate the newest information and research on psychology, behavior, and learning into her teaching and training. Callie also publishes a weekly video blog and creates online courses on riding, training, and horse care with her global horse riding education platform, Horse Class, previously known as CRK Training. In Callie's own words, because of the horse, I am aware, aware of myself and of others. Because of the horse, I have more patience, empathy, and forgiveness. Time spent with horses makes me a better person one day at a time. In this episode, we discuss Callie's horsemanship journey from her humble beginnings with what she describes as boring horse lessons, horse riding lessons, um, to training wild mustangs and starting the global horse riding education company, Horse Class. The surprising difference between wild mustangs and the domestic horses in their ability to return to relaxation after a startle, the importance of awareness, slowing down and listening to the horse's subtle communication in training, a common cause of horse behavioral and health issues, Callie's favorite mentors that have helped her become the trainer and rider she is today and how you can learn from them also. A discussion around the behavioral science and the use of positive and negative reinforcement in training horses. Her new journey with her horse Canelo, focusing on developing connection. Her experience participating in the longest horse race in the world, what's involved and what she learned through participating, plus so much more. I really loved connecting with Callie. I felt like I was talking with YouTube royalty since she's kind of famous on YouTube. Um, And I was pleasantly surprised with, you know, I guess you have an idea of how someone is through watching their videos on YouTube and and that sort of thing, but it's not until you actually connect with them and talk to them uh, until you really find out what they're really about, you know, what they're really interested in. Um, and it was very much on par with my interests um, with, you know, developing a relationship and a partnership with a horse. So it was really nice to hear that Callie is also interested in that and, you know, chooses to um, promote that and and use that as a kind of a foundation for her teaching as well because you know that's what it's all about for all of us we're in this for the love of the horse so I really love that about Kelly and I love that she's forever fascinated with horses you know she's always learning she's humble and she knows that there's that it's a never-ending learning journey with horses um, and that of course she loves riding but for her it's really the horses themselves that she enjoys and being present and and really just enjoying her time spent with horses. So I know you're going to love this episode. Let's dive in. And as always, if you love it, please screenshot and share on social media or leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a light, happy and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and equine learning theory, and now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication with your horse so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing the partnership. Get more learning resources, including my free connection and communication mini course at AmaliaDempsey.com. Click the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave me a rating and review or screenshot this episode and share on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome Callie King to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you here on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm really excited to... um to talk and to share some stories with your listeners. I feel like we have horse YouTube royalty on the podcast today. And I feel like you share so much with people about 
horses and horse training and horse care, but I would love to get to know more about you and your background. So can you tell us about your horsemanship journey from when you got into horses and what has led to what you're doing today? Yes. And it's funny. There's so, there's so many different ways I feel like that I could answer this question because my, my whole life has really been horses since the time that I was, um, well, it started when I was six, but really from the time that I was nine on, I mean, my life is just guided with horses. So I, I could tell so many stories, but it started when I was young, my grandfather, um, had a dairy farm. And he had a horse. My grandfather was Amish. So that means that he used horses for work and um, and also used horses for transportation. So his his buggy horse, his horse that, that pulled his cart, was stabled. And he wasn't a riding horse. And I was not allowed to work with him when I was young or to do anything with him. So I would get up in the middle of the night and sneak over and sneak into the barn and pet him, crawl up on his back, um, just like spend the wee hours of the morning with uh, with my grandfather's horse. And that's the first memory that I have of being with horses and just being totally in love with horses. But it's funny because it contrasts with I was doing that and almost at the same time or shortly after, my parents bought me a package of riding lessons and I absolutely hated them. I thought that they were so boring. Um, I didn't oh. want to go. And, and, you know, looking back, I think that it had a huge influence on the way that I structure my own lessons, you know, when I'm teaching and the way that I'm so passionate about education, because it, those early lessons were just the stereotypical several of us riders trotting around the outside, the, you know, kind of, um, brusque instructor, you know, barking instructions at us. And it, uh, yeah, it, it was not a good first impression of the riding. But luckily, when I was nine, my first horse was gifted to me by a family friend. His name was Scotch, um, named Apley uh, from his, his owner's favorite drink. <laughs> and I would ride Scotch. I didn't own a saddle for about the first I don't know, six months that I had him. So I would just ride him bareback everywhere. And Scotch really reconnected me to just that love of being with a horse. And I think that sums up my journey is I've always felt more of a love for the horse than I have for the riding. Of course, I enjoy riding. I love riding. But just the everything that is horses um, has forever fascinated me and forever will. So that kind of took me into training, working with friends' horses. I was always intrigued by by so-called problem horses or, you know, challenges. It started with when I was, you know, 10 or 11, still had scotch and the neighbor couldn't catch his horse in the field. And I would go out for hours and see if I could, you know, get close enough to this horse and get his halter on. And uh, that just continued that that fascination with the, with the behavior and with how do horses think and how do I communicate with them. Um, so I I also had other animals in my life that I loved playing little training games with. Um, didn't call it training at the time. Just seeing what different things we could do together. I had a dog and a goat that pulled a little cart. Um, so I kind of took that same spirit into my work with horses is just like what different things could, could we do and how can I communicate with, um, with these animals? So that eventually led into a, a really uh, busy training barn and lesson barn where I was based in Pennsylvania. And, uh, I was doing that for, as a business there working out of that farm for over 10 years. And then honestly, I started to get pretty burnt out by working with so many, I would say emotionally challenged horses, you know, that were coming with um, just a, a really difficult history of their prior training or that had a lot of problems simply because of the way that a lot of domestic horses are kept, you know, stabled so many hours or uh, isolated from other horses. 
So it kind of got me burned out from, honestly, from what I was doing as a trainer and uh, some other things in life happening at the same time led me to a move to California where I started working with uh, Mustangs at the Return to Freedom Mustang Sanctuary. And that really, really changed the way that I looked at horses. It once again reconnected me to my true love of um, understanding the horse and being with the horse. And uh, from there, the kind of the rediscovery of my passion for horses continued with um, moving to Mexico in part for prep for the Mongol Derby, which I rode in uh, last summer. And that was kind of my like, again, coming back to really the roots of what I love most about the riding itself. And that leads me to uh, where I am today, where I, I live in rural Mexico. I have my one horse that I work with and that I ride every day. And I'm really back to um, loving, enjoying, and being fascinated by what's possible in our relationship with horses. So that's a, a long answer to your question. But uh, yeah, that, that felt like the the most important storyline to tell of Benny in my horsemanship journey. Yeah, I love that. I think that gives us a really good overview, but I'm curious to know how CRK training slash horse class fits into that story. Like when did that start? How did that come about? And, you know, how has it evolved over time? Yeah, great question. So I started that pretty early on. Um, I had just opened up, kind of officially opened up, you know, my barn, my training stable in Pennsylvania. And I knew I wanted to do something different for two reasons. Uh, the first was, you know, I mentioned those early riding lessons that I didn't enjoy. So I knew I wanted to do education different. And I was already doing that differently with my students, the way that I structured the lessons, always trying to make them fun, you know, coming in with with a lesson plan, using different types of activities in um, in the lessons to help students really feel and understand what I was teaching. And part of that is I would send them home with homework. And sometimes we would make a little video as they were out with their, you know, finishing the writing lessons, and I would give them some things to practice at home. And as I was doing this and starting to create this content, I realized that this was something I could share in a much bigger way, you know, beyond just my students that I was working with at the farm. And the other, the other uh, reason behind it is I always knew that I wanted to move around, you know, that I wasn't going to be working out of the same farm for, um, for all of my life. But I wanted to continue to teach and train. And those often are are kind of challenging to do, especially when there's, you know, when there's an actual farm and physical location. So I thought, oh, okay, well, I can support my current students by doing more of this publishing. I can work with my mentors and share their message. And I can start to build something that I can continue to do what I love without needing to always be here at the farm you know, doing it in this one location. So I started uh, CRK training in 2012. We rebranded it to horse class in uh, 2020. And it's, um, yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful. A huge community, amazing community of like-minded horse people from around the world. And the, the students there and the other instructors continue to inspire me. Yes, and I love how you bring other instructors into the platform. We recently had Andrea Wadey on the podcast um, and I have personally done her Pure Liberty course through your platform. So absolutely love that. And I think it's great that you're collaborating with other instructors to really bring everyone's knowledge together because, you know, there, there are so many different facets of horsemanship and training and horse care, et cetera. So I think that's awesome. Earlier, you spoke about how the Mustangs sort of changed your view of horses. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and how you would summarize your training approach or philosophy with horses today? Yes. Yeah, the the Mustangs, the first thing that they really helped me see was the 
the resilience, I would say, of those horses and the way that they were so sensitive um, and so resilient to stress because of their close family family bonding and the way that they had grown up on the range and you know grown up that they were physically very healthy and strong in general but also mentally they were just i found them to be much more resilient to stress um a big difference that i noticed to give a specific example is you know there's a lot of our our horses that we know especially what we'll call the more you know hotter sensitive breeds like the thoroughbreds uh, and some of the warm bloods that when they are excited by something, when they're triggered by something, it can take a long time for them to calm back down. Where I found the Mustangs could get, they could have a really big startle, a really big spook, and then they would be almost immediately calm again. So it was like they had this um, this better developed ability to move through and out of stress. So I found that really interesting. And it made me think a lot about the way that we you know, manage our, our domestic horses and the importance of, of the, the, I'll call them wild, you know, there's controversy around that, but the importance of the way that the wild horses were um, developing and the intricacy of their social structure. But it also really made me aware of, because they were so sensitive, really made me aware of how just my intention I shared a story on my blog recently because I was there just a few months ago working with the horses again. And I was working with a a young horse. We were just working on putting her halter on the first time. It was going well. We were making progress. And then I started looking at the time and realizing it was going to get dark soon. And I was running out of time to meet my quote unquote goal for the day of putting the halter on. And I don't, you know, I'm aware enough that I don't think I changed anything. It wasn't that I started all, you know, rushing around, but this little mare completely knew the difference when all of a sudden I was internally feeling a bit more pushed for time. And she was very wary of every move from then on out. Um, So that's just an example of their, the horses made me take my level of internal awareness to a much higher level, you know, become much more aware of how I was feeling and where my attention was, where my energy was, and also really break things down. Because these horses, you know, a a halter coming up in one position is totally different than a halter coming up with, you know, say the, uh, the crown piece unbuckled. So really breaking things down step by step and not assuming that the horses understood something was a really important learning for me as well. Yeah, wow. And I can totally relate sort of on another level, obviously not working with wild horses, but I really feel like the horses can feel when we have another agenda, especially when we really want that end result. You know, they can feel that. It's almost like a form of pressure that they can feel from us. Whereas when you're more relaxed about the outcome, things seem to flow a lot more smoothly and perhaps they feel a little bit less threatened by that. But I'm really surprised that the wild, well, Mustang horses um, were uh, better able to kind of self-regulate or get back down to a relaxed state after being spooked. That really surprises me. I thought the domesticated horse would be, would be better at doing that. So why do you think that is? Yeah, it's, it is really a great question. And this isn't an answer that I know. My guess is that it's because of the way that they, um, the way that they just, they have better social structure. So especially when they're together, they co-regulate, you know, they can kind of, you know, feel safe within their group. And I think generally because of that, like their baseline level of stress is a lot lower where for many of our domestic horses, they might have depending, totally depending on the horse, not speaking of all of them, but many have kind of a higher baseline stress. Mm. So it's more more challenging for them to return to really that base level of um, of true calmness. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm sure you had many breakthroughs working with the Mustangs, but what has been your biggest horsemanship breakthrough to date on your horsemanship journey? Hmm. 
a tough one. Yeah, that's a really, <laughs> it is a really good question because there were so many of them came with the Mustangs, but I think, I think recently it probably is with my own horse. His name is Canelo. And um, I, I got him here after I moved to Mexico. I've had him for just over a year. And he definitely teaches me. And I wouldn't say this, this isn't like a big breakthrough. It's just the, it was another realization of how much I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've been um, spent many years training and working on behavior problems. And, you know, I'm really, really skilled and really confident at, you know, bringing in a horse, um, helping get them from, from kind of A to A to M, I'll say, <laughs> you know, going through, going through the basics, um, solving problems, um, you know, going through basic level performance things. But with Canelo, where I'm really now pushing um, or exploring is a better word, exploring what's possible in terms of relationship and, you know, how much can we really get like just doing things that I've never done before, ground tying for long periods of time when we're out on the trails, um, doing liberty where I don't have any kind of round pen or any kind of small enclosure to work in just those sorts of things that every day I'm learning. So it's not like one big breakthrough, but it's definitely been a really, again, a reminder of this is a whole new level of things that I don't know. And I have a whole lot more to learn. It's comforting to hear that someone like yourself with so much experience still has that kind of I guess, beginner mindset where you never really reach a point where you know everything, like you're always learning. And I feel like the more experienced you get anyway, horses will show up that'll show you that actually you still have a lot more to learn. So seems to be the pattern. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's it's that never ending journey. But I think it, it's sort of like, oh, damn, so I'll never reach that point where I do know everything. <laughs> yes, yes, well said. And what's something that you wish that every horse owner would do differently? I would say slowing down, mm -hmm. slowing down and really working on, on being more aware of all that's happening. So awareness of ourselves is so important. I believe with horses, you know, where, where is our attention? Where is our focus? Are we high energy? Are we low energy? Uh, what kind of emotion are we bringing to the horse? So there's that piece, but also then like the, the awareness of the subtlety in how horses can communicate to us, you know, as simple as are they leaning away or leaning towards, um, you know, what, what are they consistently reacting to? that is is giving us clues about what they're understanding that we may or may not be intending in the session. And then also holding that and being really aware of the environment. And to me, when I'm around really great horsemen, I always see that their level of awareness is they're able to hold all three of those things um, and and really hold them. You know, so they're they can, they know what's going on and they know that horse and they're also really in tune with themselves. So I think, I think as a practice, that is probably the most important thing. And that can change not just our horsemanship, but every area of our lives too, to bring that level of, of really presence, um, to, to each moment. Mm. And I feel like just from watching your videos, you naturally have this really calm, soothing sort of energy is this something that you've had to work on and how would you recommend others develop that and that level of awareness that you talk about a really good horse people having yeah I have definitely had to work on it it's funny because I get a lot of people that um, send me really nice compliments of oh you're so patient you know you look so patient with the horses and I have really had to work on that one because I am by nature, I would say not a patient person. Um, I can be very type A, very like, like to see results. Let's go, you know, 
let's let's go big and fast um so i really have to always tell myself to uh to slow down to look for the smallest little successes and to really focus on the success. And to me, that's how I, at least in the training context, how I develop patience is because if I find if I break it down really small and I'm focused on just little success, then I can be getting success, you know, for me and for the horse moment by moment. And that is, um, you know, then I, then I feel like I'm moving forward instead of setting the bar really high and then getting frustrated if I'm not reaching that. Yes, I can totally relate. I would say I'm type A personality as well. And I have to consciously stop myself when I'm with my horses and say, you know what, that's 1% better. I'm going to leave that for today and not drill it and, you know, eventually get to the point where the horse doesn't even like doing the tasks. So yeah, I think that's really good to remind people just to go for those small wins and celebrate those small successes, which do compound over time. And yeah, that does require a bit of patience. Um, So one of the things I really like to ask people, because I'm very passionate about happy horses and improving horse welfare, what do you think makes a happy horse? Well, I'm going to quote equine behaviorist Lauren Frazier on this one. And I'm not sure if this is um, originated from her work, but she puts it in a really easy way to remember, which is the three F's, friends, forage, and freedom. And I think this this is the core. Horses are social animals, so they they really need to be around others and have that social life. And that's to working with the wild horses really opened my eyes to to the complexity sometimes of their their social lives. And, you know, in their family bands, they can have so many different different relationships, different um, relationships with different horses. And it's not definitely not the simple pecking order that we're sometimes taught that horses have. And then their bodies are designed to, to be grazing and to have, you know, lots of forage going through to be healthy and that freedom because they're, they're intelligent, you know, so freedom to move, to explore, I think is really, really important as well. And have you found that horses who lack those three F's in their life tend to have more behavioral issues or health issues? Have you have you noticed that on your journey? Absolutely. And and both of those things, more health issues and more behavioral issues as well. When I work with any horse that comes to me, even though right now I'm not doing a lot of training cases, but you know, when I was actively taking in several horses a month and typically ones that were coming in with some kind of a kind of problem behavior complaint from their owner, almost always at least one of those three things was missing for the horse. And a lot of what would what I would do to to start the change, it wasn't about training exercises, but it was much more about looking at the management, how can we change them, you know, the horse's kind of life outside of training and, um, and letting that be a really big part of the kind of the plan for helping that horse progress. Mm, It makes sense that they have their basic needs met before, you know, we even think about the training and that sort of thing. It's like ourselves, if we don't have our basic needs met, then we can't function at our best either. I would love to know from you, Kelly, um, who your biggest mentors have been on your journey. And if you could have dinner with any three horse people, dead or alive, who would it be? Yes. Well, I've had so many mentors. Um, yeah, so many great mentors. I think the the biggest ones, Wendy Murdoch, has been a huge mentor to me in the way that I teach riding and really understanding the the body of the rider and um, the movement of the horse. Wendy's a Feldenkrais practitioner, so she brings that uh, kind of somatic teaching into the way that she teaches riding. And also I've learned a lot from Angelo Teletine. Angelo is one of the first that really helped me bridge the gap. I was learning about behavioral science and exploring it with my dogs and um, 
and some other species, my goats, my guinea pigs. But I wasn't, I wasn't quite bridging the gap to use it really effectively with my horses. And he really helped me understand you know, that bringing behavioral science in to you know, even really high levels of, uh, of working with show jumpers and, um, and performance, you know, not just, not just uh, problem solving or trick training. So that was really, really helpful. And um, yeah, many, many others, uh, basically everyone that is a instructor in horse class was a mentor of mine. You know, Patrick King, I was learning me in handwork with him. I went to Costa Rica to study with Andrea Wadey and was so impressed by, you know, her relationship with her horses there. So that, as I mentioned in the beginning, horse class was um, was partly created out of selfish reasons because <laughs> I wanted to study more with um, with these people, with my mentors and, you know, creating the programs with them and working so closely in order to to kind of bring their teaching to life was a way for me to do that. And at the same time, you know, have it to share with many others. Beautiful. So, yeah, that's current horse people, the first part of your question. And then the yeah. second part of you said three, three horse people yep. dead or alive that I would love to have dinner with. Mm hmm. So two are easy. The first is Robin Wiltshire. Um, and many people don't, don't know of Robin, but he was the trainer for many years of the Budweiser, Budweiser Clydesdales. So a lot of the commercials that you see with those horses doing amazing things, he was the trainer um, of those horses. Yeah, wow. And he works with a lot of different animals, preparing them for, for TV, for movie, for commercials, but his uh, his training is really phenomenal. And the second person would be Frederick Pignon. Mm-hmm. Um, again, his you know I've read read his book, um, you know watched watched videos of his training, and really inspired by not only what he's able to accomplish, but just the way he he speaks of his horses and of his work. And then the third is not. Not a person that I know, but I envision if I could go back in time to someone that like lived with their horse, you know, like I'm picturing, um, I don't know, maybe like the the early nomadic people of Mongolia or a a new world explorer, you know, someone that that lived with their horse and was traveling with their horse and just think it would be so fascinating to see how the kind of um, bond that would develop with that lifestyle and, and the way that they would interact with their horse. Yes. I think that would be really interesting. And two things come to mind when you, um, when you were speaking about that, there's a book called wild at heart. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's about mm-hmm. a story of a girl who takes similar to Andrea in, in that it's a journey across country um, with a couple of horses and how that relationship builds over time. And then also Matthias Skyson, who I had on the podcast, he's done um, some similar journeys where he's uh, literally lived with his horses um, out, out in the open for um, extended periods of time. So I think you'd find him really mm-hmm. interesting. And um, when you were talking, I uh, specifically about, you know, working with other species um, and connecting that behavioral science in, I was thinking about a question I used to ask people on the podcast, which is what are your thoughts on positive versus negative reinforcement? But now I don't really see it as a versus, you know, this or that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on on uh, operant conditioning in general and, and what kind of reinforcement you use in your training. Yes, I I am with you in that the more that I study the science of it and the more that I work with um with horses and with other animals too, the more I see that the the lines between like positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, sometimes it's really clear, but a lot of times it, to me it's not as clear as, okay, we're only working with one or we're only working with another. And that goes for any of the, the quadrants of operant conditioning because 
I like to say, you know, for if we're working outside of a Skinner box, if we're working basically outside of a lab setting, then there's there's so many different factors that can be coming in. So generally speaking, I really like to use positive reinforcement wherever I can. You know, I like that the that the horse is working, you know, for something that they're motivated um, by working for something. But I I definitely use negative reinforcement as well. And I don't believe that, uh, you know, that one is ethical and another is, is not ethical or that it's a good or bad, but it's about understanding them and having them as tools in the toolbox that they help us understand how communication happens, how learning happens, um, but not not getting overly concerned with, um, you know, only using one and completely avoiding another. Yeah. And I, I feel like with, you know, humans, horses, any species, there's always multiple, well, there can be multiple motives for behavior. So it would be really hard to try and use one, um, I guess, form of reinforcement purely because, yeah, there are many factors and nuances involved. So I love that you mentioned that. Now, this next question mm-hmm. is um, one of my favorites um, and it's what has been your best horse-related purchase in the last 12 months? Oh, that is a good one. Best horse-related purchase. I would say it was probably, <laughs> so it's, um in August of last year is what I did the Mongol Derby. And uh, I purchased like two days before, before I left. Uh, someone told me, you got to get this, this stuff. Oh man, what's it called? It's like called butt balm or something like that. It's like this waxy stuff that you can put on your legs to it's avoid like shaving cream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe not the typical answer, but I think that it was my best riding slash horse related purchase in the last 12 months because and it, did you use it on the I trip? made it. I used a lot of it on the trip and I made it through without a single shave. <laughs> that is amazing. And yes, we've never had anyone um, say, give that answer for that question. Um, <laughs> I am curious to know more about this Mongo Derby. Like I've seen pictures and heard about it. And I think I maybe watched a video of, of your, a, a, like a snippet of um, your journey, but could you tell us a little bit more about it and what it involves? Yeah, so the Mongol Derby is the longest horse race in the world. It's it, it uh, clocks in at a thousand k. I actually ended up riding twelve hundred and seventy k by the time I was finished. Um, you've got up to ten days to complete it, and you change horses every thirty five to forty kilometers. Oh wow! So I rode. Yeah, I rode a total of um, twenty eight horses during the race. And it is based off of the the old mail system of um, of Genghis Khan. So it, you kind of follow, you know, based based on that route, you follow uh, going from horse station to horse station, self navigating, and and riding, of course, the uh, the Mongolian horses, which are absolutely incredible. So it was it was truly the the experience of a lifetime. Wow, so cool. And um, did you end up riding more kilometers just because of like the the track you took? Like how did that work? Yeah, they say a thousand kilometers, but that's basically as the crow flies. Okay. So yeah. until you like, you know, go up and down the mountains and go around bogs and all that stuff, it the kilometers add up fast. That's good to know that you swap horses as well, because I'm thinking like I feel like that would be a lot of stress on a horse to do a thousand kilometers um, over 10 days. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be way too much for one horse. Yeah. And on that, on that um, journey, did you have any like realizations? Did you, I'm sure you hit points where you, there was some struggle and then coming out the other side, do you have any insights as to what that um, derby did for you? Yeah, I was blown away by those horses, by the the terrain that they could cover at the speeds that they could cover. Uh, they were so sure-footed, so strong, and um, 
you know, a lot of them were kind of half wild. So these aren't horses that they're like regularly riding every day. You know, these horses live in huge groups out on the steppe and uh, they bring them in, you know, depending on on what they're doing, they they bring them in and ride or or milk them or whatever. But uh, yeah, so the for me, the experience of you know getting on a new horse, navigating that thirty five kilometers over all kinds of terrain, and finding how I mean, I found those horses to be extremely generous and agreeable if we would work together. You know, so most of the time I let them pick their speed. Oftentimes that was pretty darn fast, especially coming out of a horse station. But um, man, they just, they knew where their feet were. They were so intelligent and, and it was, yeah, it was truly an honor and an honor to, to be there in that culture where the horse is so revered and there's so much, so much history around horses. Wow. That's incredible. So does, does that mean you went uh, pretty fast, like the whole time? Like I'm picturing that you're walking some parts and then trotting and cantering other parts, but was it pretty flat chat the whole time? Most of the horses would come, they would be pretty flat out for the first maybe 5k. Um, and then, you know, then they would slow down and then it was mostly trot and canter, uh, depending on the horse and depending on the terrain, some walking in between, but yeah, to to finish, uh, let alone to be competitive, they had to had to keep a pretty good clip, and they had vet checks, you know, throughout the race. Every time that you switched horses, there was a, a vetting, and they their standards were even above what the current standards are for uh, endurance riding. So they had you know really good vetting standards in place for the protection of the horses too. That's really good to hear. And what about yourself in terms of your fitness? Did you do any preparation for that ride or were you already fit enough to just jump on and go? What sort of prep did you do? Well, I did. um, My prep was kind of strung out because I was originally going to ride in uh, the race in 2020. And then, of course, it got canceled that year. It got canceled the next year. So I had three years that I was like prepping and then or two years that I prepped, didn't go, prepped, didn't go. So then in 2022, I was only with, um, with my horse Canelo, who's definitely not, he's not a long distance guy, but uh, I did, I did as, as much as I could with him, which was really only up to about 30 K, but we just did it really slow so that I would get the hours in the saddle. And, uh, and then I did a lot of running too, so that I, would uh, improve my fitness that way. Yeah, so good. Wow, that just sounds like an amazing experience. I think I would love to do something like that one day. I've also had my eye on, have you seen the African horse safaris on social media? They're, they look yes. like they'd be incredible. Have you done anything like that? I haven't, not yet. But yeah, any anything anything to do with riding and exploring the world, I think there's no better way to you know, get to know a new place than to, to be there on horseback. Definitely. Um, now I feel like you're a bit of a horse nerd like me. Uh, do you have any favorite horse books or resources that you could recommend to our listeners? I definitely do. And, you know, I'm going to recommend the two most, um, what I feel like are, required reading for for any horse person. Um, the first one is Centered Riding by mm-hmm. Sally Swift. I feel like that is just a, a textbook for good riding. And then the second is um, called Don't Shoot the Dog. Mm-hmm. And it, funny name, but basically it's, a, it's like a primer for understanding behavior and understanding training, operant conditioning, and it's just, it's written by uh, Karen Pryor. It's written in a way that's really easy to understand, easy to read. And I think it's its uh, a great book. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that um, book. I, have, I found it quite dense, like there's a lot of information in there. But I really like that you mentioned it because it's not like a classic horse textbook, so to speak. But I think it gets people thinking outside of the sort of traditional um, 
I guess, uh, methods of uh, being around horses and really getting them thinking about, you know, how, how are the horses learning this? Why are they responding in this way? So, yeah, that's good that you're uh-huh. recommending. And, yes, Scented Riding, absolute classic Sally Swift. I think there's a, a an updated version now. I think I've got both in my library. Um, I'd uh-huh. love to know from you, Callie, what is your ultimate goal with horses? Yeah, I would say, I would say at this point, I really don't have one. And I'm kind of, I'm enjoying it that way because I tend to be, I'm a goal setter. I'm like I shared earlier, definitely tend to be a type A person. Uh, and in the past have always had goals of, okay, we're, even though it wasn't competitive goals for me with my own horses, it was like, all right, I want to be, you know, jumping four foot through the grids, or I want to be doing this Liberty trick or that thing. And recently, as I'm working with Canelo, it's, I would say my, my goal is more the sense of connection that we can develop. Uh, and that I have not yet felt like putting a clear objective on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it just kind of feels like going out there, um, spending the time, really being present in that time, exploring lots of new things and seeing what develops out of it. I love that. And are you using some of Andrea's Pure Liberty uh, work as a part of building that connection? Definitely. Yeah. Andrea's uh, Pure Liberty course is amazing to me. It's like a a foundation for creating that bond. And then I've been, uh, you know, you asked earlier about about positive and negative reinforcement. I've been using a lot more positive reinforcement, kind of expanding the different things that I that I use that for, and uh, yeah, and and kind of seeing again playing with you know how do I combine that with uh, with clear clear pressures, kind of clear pressure cues, and and working mostly in very open spaces. Mm, very interesting. Are you yeah. going to be updating people on your journey with Canelo on social media or is this just something that you keep to yourself? Like how can we find out more about your journey with Canelo? I I would say not yet. I'm doing some documentation of it, but I think I will put it out later. And to be honest, the reason why is I'm in such an such a exploring mode that I don't want to, it's not that I'm teaching or would teach what I'm doing. And sometimes I think, especially in the position that I am, that I've put out so many teaching videos, sometimes anything that I demonstrate is then kind of immediately taken as a how-to. Yeah. Um, and right now I'm in the mode of like, wow, I might've tried that for a week and it really didn't work. So not something to follow. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's well. nice just to have that kind of pressure off as well where you're free to explore and experiment without feeling like you've got to teach it so to speak yes yes exactly and also without feeling like I've got to have my mind in that place of like okay well how am I going to film this where am I going to put the phone it's nice to just go out and you know not take a phone not take a camera not be in that mindset at all just really be present with what I'm doing Absolutely. Yeah. As much as I love sharing my journey and content on social media, I also like to and consciously leave my phone inside sometimes just so that I can be really present and, you know, not have that um, kind of thought like, oh, I should get this on camera, you know? (laughs) It's just, it's nice Mm -hmm. to be able to leave the phone inside sometimes. So what is the one message you would like our listeners to take away from today's interview? I would I would love for people the next time that they are with their horse to just take a few moments at any time, whether they're just going out to their horse, whether they're in the middle of the ride, but just to to really slow down and take it all in. You know, an exercise that I love is so simple, but I do it all the time. And it's just really paying attention to the senses, you know, really taking in the smell of your horse the feeling of, you know, their, their hair under your hand or the reins in your hand, 
you know, notice everything that you're seeing, you know, when we're, when we're with our horses, we get to be outside often and, and in nature and just really, really taking in the senses and the moment. And, you know, we, we ride, we spend time with horses because we love it. And I think really connecting to that place of, um, of just really enjoying it and really enjoying the moment I feel is it's super important. And yeah, that's, that's the message that I would love for folks to take away. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I feel like we can get so carried away again with our goals and what we want to achieve in a session that we forget that it's so amazing just to even be around horses. And I don't know about you, but when no one's looking, I will like bury my face in my horse's neck and breathe in that beautiful horse smell. And it just like takes me back to, you know, childhood days where I was just so glad just to be around a horse, let alone, you know, my own horse and being able to ride that horse, et cetera. So it's nice to be able to reconnect with that and just be present and happy and grateful just to be with our horses. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, there's even some science to that too, because the olfaction sense, the sense of smell is the one that is most involved with coding memories. So I think it's one of the reasons that we as horse people, we love the smell of horses because we've got so many good memories often with horses. And especially when we can slow down and really focus on our senses, it codes the memory even stronger. So wow, it's, uh, it's a fun thing that I, yeah, that I love to do is like capture a moment in the senses and you can, you can code it forever. Ah, that makes sense. And even like, it sounds kind of gross, but even the smell of horse poo doesn't really faze me. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. even that sawdust smell and just all the smells associated with horses, absolutely love it. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for coming onto the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I've loved connecting with you and hearing about your journey. Before we wrap up, can you tell us where our listeners can find out more about you and what you offer? Yes. So the best place to go is horseclass.com. And from the website, I've I've been doing the weekly videos since 2012. So we have quite a large library of resources. Um, you can view the different courses and programs with um, all of our instructors and yeah, get all the links to follow us on social, all of the stuff from the website. Amazing. And I'll put all of those details in the show notes as well, including um, links to social media and whatnot. So people can easily find you and horse class and what you offer. So thank you again for coming onto the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit the follow button so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or screenshot this episode and share it on social media. You can connect with me on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses or my website AmaliaDempsey.com where you can find free resources to help you on your horsemanship journey. That's all for today. Thanks for being here. Remember to train with kindness and ride with excellence and I'll see you in the next episode. 